Have you ever been afraid of anything before? As we were singing that song uh, this morning, and even as I was thinking about um, the the songs that we were going to worship to this morning, I thought about fear in my own life. I don't know if you've ever been afraid of anything before, uh, but one of the things that uh, God continues to to reveal to me through others, through uh, His Word, is that I have a fear of change. I have a fear of change. I'm not a big uh, fan of change. I like uh, predictable I like uh, comfort. I like to be able to know uh, what I'm getting myself into. I like to know what's going to happen on a particular day. And when I find myself in a situation where I experience change, sometimes uh, it can be a little unraveling in my heart. I don't know if you've ever had that experience before, but I just wanted to share this morning. Uh, We have experienced over the course of the last year uh, a lot of change as a church. You know, we, we changed our name. You know, we changed our name. We had a name for, for 10 years, and we changed our name. We, we changed our vision and our direction, and, and we believe that God has called us to that, that He's using us to, to point people to Jesus, and yet even a walking through that can be a little unnerving. And sometimes when you experience change and you don't always know exactly what life is going uh, to look like, you can wrestle and, and battle with fear. And I experienced that uh, in my own life. Like I said, I like predictable. When Melissa and I lived in Dallas, Texas. We lived close to the Cheesecake Factory, uh, which was not a good move in retrospect. But if you've been to the Cheesecake Factory, they have a menu that's 87 pages long. I don't know if you've been there before. And I would go there with Melissa and I would order chicken tenders. And she would look at me and go, really? Like, really? All these options? I'm just like, I found something that I liked. Chicken tenders, some mashed potatoes, I'm going to stick with it. It's just ingrained in me. And so uh, sometimes when I experience change, I can uh, get a little rattled. But one of the things that God has uh, done in my heart as He's reassured me, even as we've gone through this process over the last year, is that, uh, that sometimes uh, change can be a really good thing, especially when uh, you know that God is calling you or moving you in a particular direction. Uh, We live in a community that is one of the fastest growing communities in the United States. By the year 2020, there will be roughly 350,000 people that live uh, within a 10-mile radius of this place uh, where you find yourself and where I find myself this morning. By 2025, that number is expected to be roughly 400,000. Uh, Of those 400,000 people, uh, roughly 35% would identify themselves as evangelical Christians. And that's a a broad term, but roughly 3 out of 10, maybe 4 out of 10 would at least say, hey, I'm a Christian. Uh, But only 14% of those people would say that their faith is very important to them. So think about that for a moment. There's 400,000 people uh, within driving distance of this place this morning, and roughly only one or two out of ten maybe would say that their faith is very important to them. We believe as a church that that is not okay. And it's not okay. We believe that God has called us to point other people to Jesus. Uh, We we do that when we go out and we move out into our community. We also uh, do that here uh, when we come together because uh, we need Jesus. You need Jesus and I need Jesus. 
And so my, my hope is that God would use our time uh, to point us uh, to him. There are some exciting things taking place uh, here at Christ Point. Just earlier this week, I was able to go out and look at a couple properties with a commercial realtor who's been working hard for us as a church. Uh, we were encouraged as we saw those properties and looked at them and said, yeah, that's not it. Um, those, <laughs> that's, that's, that's not it. Uh, but you know what? It was, it was good because those, those trips are clarifying, right? You can kind of go out and go, yeah, yes, or no. And so we're just trusting that God's going to continue uh, to lead and guide us in the days ahead. It, admittedly, uh, many churches on the front end of a search um, will be told, you know what you're looking for is a needle in a haystack. And, uh, and we go, yeah, yeah, we know, yeah, we know. Uh, but you know what? God's big. God's big, and he can do uh, miraculous things. And so we're, we're trusting that uh, he moves and acts and continues uh, to lead us uh, and to change us uh, for his glory. Uh, would you pray with me, and we'll hop into the text. God, thank you so much for uh, the work that you've done. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Just this morning, I'm reminded again of, of the promise that uh, you gave to your people uh, that you— Jesus will build your church. Oh, that's good news. Lord, thank you so much that we can uh, trust you and we can trust in your promises. We believe that you're going to do a good work. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you've revealed yourself to us through your son. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit might help me now and help your people as we receive from you uh, what you have for us this morning. Uh, God, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When my brother and I were uh, young, we noticed a disturbing trend when we went to the mall uh, with our parents. Uh, we, we noticed that there was an older gentleman with a white beard uh, dressed in a white suit uh, who would say, uh, ho, 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 Merry Christmas. And then we would get in the family car and we would go to another location and see another older gentleman with a white beard dressed in a red suit saying practically the same thing. Uh, we came home and we turned on the television. We saw the same man on the television in like New York. And we started thinking to ourselves, wait just a second, right? we were a little concerned that we were being bamboozled. Like we thought to ourselves, one of these fine gentlemen are faking it, right? Because there's no way that, that that guy could be at Wonderland Mall in Livonia and at Westland Mall in Westland in 12 Oaks Mall just up the road and on television. Right, so my brother and I made a decision. We were going to get to the bottom of this. We were going to find out if the gentleman that we saw was the genuine article. And so we came up to this older gentleman, white beard, dressed in red, and we said, uh, Sir, uh, we have a question for you. And he looked down and said, Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. And we said, uh, we were just wondering if you could answer a question for us. And he said, sure. What's your question? And we said, we wanted to know if you could name all of your reindeer. And he said, ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. 
And we said, no, like, just, I mean, you, they help you get around the world to deliver the presents. Surely you know their names. And so he began to list the names of the reindeer. He said, well, there's Rudolph and there's uh, Prancer, there's Prancer. And then he paused for another moment and he said, oh, 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 Santa doesn't remember. And I thought to myself, if you're responsible for knowing whether or not every child in the world was naughty or nice in distributing presents, the fact that you don't remember the names of your reindeer is not good news for me and my brother. Uh, we realized in that moment that this gentleman, older gentleman, white beard, red suit, was in fact a fraud. He was faking it. Right? He wasn't the real, uh, genuine article. And I don't know if you've ever had an experience before when you have realized that someone was not who they claimed uh, to be. Uh, but when you have that experience, there is something within you that just burns. Right? Because none of us, none of us uh, like a faker. None of us like a faker. There's a story that's told in Mark chapter 12 when Jesus confronts a group of people who, spiritually speaking, were faking it. Right? And so I want us to think together this morning about the making of a spiritual faking. The making of a spiritual faking. And I want us to do our best as a people uh, to avoid the same pitfalls that these so-called religious people fell into uh, during the days of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 35. Mark 12, 35 says, And Jesus taught in the temple, and he said, How can the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Right, step number one in spiritually faking it is getting the Jesus question wrong. Right, getting the Jesus question wrong. The Gospel of Mark asks the question, who is Jesus? Uh, Jesus at one point has this very personal conversation with his disciples. And he says, who do people uh, say that I am? Like, what's the scuttlebutt around town? What are, the, what are the rumors? What are you hearing? And they respond and they say, well, some say Elijah and some say uh, John the Baptist and some say you are a prophet. And then Jesus asks them a question. He says, who do you say that I am? Well, here in Mark chapter 12, Jesus has been fielding questions from the religious leaders. They have been uh, trying, to chap, uh, trying to trap him. But here, Jesus kind of turns things on its head, and, and he turns the tables on them. Uh, and he, in essence, is going to ask them, uh, who, who do you think that I am? Jesus is going to make a bold and a brash claim here in Mark chapter 12. He is going to claim to be uh, both uh, man human and God. Uh, Jesus is going to demonstrate his humanity uh, and he's going to demonstrate his divinity. Uh, there was a line of thought in the day that really believed that the, the Messiah, the Savior, uh, would come from the line of David. So if you were to look at the family tree, you'd be able to trace it back and go, oh, there's, 
There's, there's David there, and, and you trace it down further, and eventually the, the Messiah, you, you would see his name on Ancestry.com. Uh, there it would be. Uh, people held that belief for thousands of years. Uh, Jewish people even today believe that the Messiah is going to come in the line of David. The New Testament taught this. John 7, 42 reads, Doesn't the Scripture say that the Messiah comes from David's offspring and from the town of Bethlehem where David once lived? Old Testament passage, 2 Samuel 7, 16, and Indeed, the Davidic sonship of the Messiah is firmly uh, taught here. It says, Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever. Your throne will be established forever. And so the thought was that the Messiah would come from the line of David. And Jesus here in Mark chapter 12 is reminding the people that he has come from the line of David. Uh, Jesus is a fully man. Jesus is fully man. Now maybe you think to yourself, well, why is it important that Jesus was a man? Uh, why is it important that he was human? Scripture teaches us in the Old Testament or in the New Testament in Galatians 4, uh, verses 4 and 5. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. And so only a man could be born under the law. When we are born into this world, we're, we're born into uh, a, a world that is familiar with God's laws or God's commands. Historically, um, for thousands of years, people have had this perception and this idea that uh, humans are held to another standard, a standard outside of themselves, a, a law that God uh, has given. Well, Galatians 4 teaches us that the Messiah, the Savior who is to come, uh, will be a man. Uh, another reason that the humanity of Jesus was so important is because it was uh, necessary for someone uh, to come and pay the penalty for our sins. Uh, when you study the Old Testament sacrifices, one of the things that you realize is that the Old Testament sacrifices were ultimately insufficient uh, to pay the penalty for our sins. Uh, God's people would offer sacrifice for their sins, but it wasn't uh, long before they would fall back into their old patterns or their old way of life, and, and they needed once again to offer sacrifice for their sin. And then they would offer sacrifice for uh, their sin, and then the same thing would happen. Maybe you've been there before where you've made a determination in your life, listen, I'm, I'm, done, I'm, I'm done with that sin, I, I'm done acting that way or thinking that way or responding that way. And you go to someone and you say, hey, that, that old way of life, that's not going to happen again. I've, I've turned a corner. I've, I've changed. And then you find maybe the next month or the next week or the next day, all of a sudden you're like fighting that same sin or that same pattern again. One of the things that the folks in the Old Testament realize is that offering a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice, um, ultimately was not sufficient to be a once and for all sacrifice uh, for sins. We, we needed someone uh, to come and pay the penalty for our sins. And so Jesus' humanity is so important. His humanity is also important because Jesus uh, knows what it's like to walk in our shoes. Right? He knows what it's like to experience life in a broken world. 
Right? He understands what it's like to be tempted. He understands uh, what it's like to be persecuted. He knows what it's like to be poor. He understands what, what it's like to be despised. He knows what it's like to be on the outside looking in of society. Right? So, so Jesus doesn't sit back and go, I don't know what it's like to be. I don't know what you're going through. I can't understand it. I'm distant from that. No, Jesus knows. He's walked in our shoes. And so Jesus says to the religious leaders, to uh, the scribes, to, to a group of people who went um, out of their way to, to look and act a spiritual and religious, he's teaching them that he's come uh, from the line of David. But then he's also uh, pointing out Psalm 110, which is the most often uh, quoted psalm in all of the New Testament. Uh, Jesus asks, uh, this question, David himself calls him Lord. Uh, how then can the Messiah uh, be his son? And so he's saying, David, who's, who's going to uh, be in the line of Jesus, or Jesus who's going to be in the line of David, um, uh, Jesus is going, how is it that David is looking to the Messiah and calling him Lord? Like, you, you wouldn't look at a, a great-grandson or a great-great-grandson and, and refer to him as Lord. And so Jesus here in this passage is showing his humanity uh, and he is showing his uh, divinity. Uh, people have been wrestling with this question, who is Jesus uh, for thousands of years? Maybe, maybe you yourself are wrestling with this question, who is Jesus? Maybe you heard that Jesus was a good man or a religious man. Maybe he was a kind man or a loving man or a wise man. But, but you don't look at him as the God-man. You just look at him as a good moral example or a spiritual teacher or someone who had some leadership lessons to share uh, with the world. Well, Scripture teaches us that he was uh, more than just a man. Uh, he was the God-man. He was fully uh, man and fully God. Uh, but, but many people during Jesus' day uh, missed it. They didn't see it, just like many people uh, today miss it. Uh, they don't see it. And so step one in becoming a, a, a spiritual a faker uh, is to, to miss uh, the Jesus question, uh, to look at Jesus and, and perceive him to be a good man, but not uh, the God man. Jesus continues this conversation with the scribes in verse 38. Look with me there. It says, and in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Uh, scribes were often referred to as rabbi or my great one or uh, master or father. Uh, when wealthy folks would give feasts, they would invite the scribes to come and, and sit on their right or sit uh, on their left for, uh, for the purpose of show. Uh, they would recline at the table with, uh, the, the, with the host now, they would sit at a place of honor. When they were in front of the congregation, they would sit 
against a chest that would hold the Torah. They wanted to communicate uh, to those around them that they were kind of a big deal. Right? Long before Hugh Jackman was uh, worried about becoming the greatest showman, uh, the scribes, spiritually speaking, uh, were doing it too. Um, they wanted to know every. They wanted to let everyone know that, um, that 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 they knew God. That spiritually speaking, they were on a different plane from uh, the rest of society. How did they do it? Verse thirty-eight tells us. He says, "Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces." A step two to becoming a spiritual a faker is to keep up appearances, to look the part, right? Appear spiritually alive on the outside, but be spiritually dead on the inside. But make sure when people see you or when they take notice of you uh, that they perceive you to be a spiritual man or a spiritual uh, woman, Uh, Scribes would dress the part, they would wear these long white linen robes that reached to their feet and they were hemmed on the bottom, they had this uh, this long white fringe and they would stand out in a crowd. I mean, you you looked around at the marketplace and you could see the scribe coming, right? They 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 were dressed up, they were buttoned up. I mean, they looked the part. Uh, Back when I was uh, growing up in the circles that I ran with, it was very important uh, to look the part on Sunday, right? Because you wanted to to give God your best, which always meant you want to give God your your best dress, right? You You want to make sure that you wear your nicest pants and your nicest top and your nicest coat and your nicest tie, and people would come and and gather, and, and what... What that caused, intentionally or unintentionally, is on the outside, you would, you would look at a group and you would go, they clearly have it all together. I mean, just, just look at them. They're all, they're all dialed up. Everyone looks their best. And what that created was an appearance uh, that communicated, hey, listen, we've kind of figured it out. We got our stuff together. And it's subtle, but I think that can happen today. When you see someone who's dressed up and they look sharp, you just go, she's got it together. And he's figured it out. Like when you see the guy with the hooded sweatshirt from 77 and it's got holes in it and there's some chili stains on there and walking around, you're going, uh, I don't know. And the scribes, at least on the outside, looked spiritual, but on the inside, now they were far from God. You want to spiritually fake it? Look the part. Uh, third, if you want to spiritually fake it, make sure you get a, a fancy title. Right? Get a fancy title. Uh, they, they loved walking around and, and loved being greeted in the marketplace. Right? I'm kind of an, at an advantage here because I'm a pastor. And that's a spiritual title. Pastor. And there's just there's something about that that just communicates, hey, he's spiritually mature. And we, we do this with titles, do we not? Maybe it's pastor, maybe it's elder, maybe it's deacon, maybe it's founder, 
Maybe it's leader. I mean, just, just fill in the blank. Right? We've, we've all come across someone whose title was very important to them. Right? You, you, you've called them by their first name and they've corrected you and said, actually, it's, doc- it's doctor. <laughs> it's doctor. Oh, because they, they want you to know that they've, they've earned something. And they want to be called accordingly. And the scribes were like that. They felt like they were spiritual overachievers. And so they, they wanted to make sure that, that they were referred to appropriately. That they wanted to make sure that, that they could drop their spiritual uh, resume whenever possible. They wanted to make sure that they communicated to the masses that they, they had done some things, that they had accomplished a few things. They probably spent a lot of time talking about what they had done instead of what God had done. They wanted to, to look the part. They, they wanted uh, other people um, to refer to them by a particular title uh, and as we read on, we also uh, see another component of spiritually faking it. It's not just having a fancy title, uh, but get notice. Step number four in spiritual uh, faking it is to get noticed, right? Get noticed. Like whenever you do anything uh, spiritual, uh, make sure other people know about it, right? Find creative ways to slide it into a conversation. Uh, go out of your way uh, to put it on social media for the world to see. Uh, make sure you don't do things that other people don't see or notice. I mean, that would be just horrible, wouldn't it? Right? If you did good things and the world didn't know about it. I remember um, I was on a missions trip in Colombia. I was on a missions trip in Colombia, everyone. I went on a missions trip to Colombia. That's, that, that's, no. When, when I was there, the leader of the team was speaking to some of the pastors there, and he was speaking to a number of the students that were there to work with the children. And, and in the place that we were at, it was very important that we did not advertise to the world where we were, right? Because it was, it was not good if other people found out that these pastors uh, were at this conference. I'll never forget what the leader said. He said, listen, guys, guys, he said, listen, I, I know that we live in a world where if we, we don't post something on Facebook or Instagram, it didn't happen. But let's just pretend it didn't happen, right? In, in other words, don't take pictures for the world to see. I thought, man, that's so good. Man, it's, it's so tempting for us to, to do good things and to do good works uh, and, and yet to communicate those or about those in such a way that we want to make sure that, that other people know about it. Not, not to give God glory for what he's done. I'm not talking about that. No, there's times when we do. There's times when we're going, man, praise God for what he's done. Praise God that he's working in this person's life. Praise God that this person came to know Jesus. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the subtle things that we do to make sure we advertise um, what it is that we've done or accomplished. Have you ever done that before? Man, I've done, I've, I've done that before. Man, and I've, and I've done it in sneaky ways too. You know, you, you were somewhere early and, and you wanted to make sure that other people know about it. Right? 
You know, you're, you're here early doing some work and you, and you leave, you know, you leave and you go get a coffee or, or you go to the gas station to get a donut and you come back and someone sees you walking up a little later than usual and you're just going, oh yeah, I just, I made a run. I was here this morning. I was here early this morning. I just had to step away. You just want to make sure that you're putting out to the masses. People know. And spiritual leaders in Jesus' time were, were experts at getting noticed. They were experts at getting noticed. 1 Thessalonians 4.11 says, To make it your ambition uh, to lead a quiet life. Did you ever wonder what that would look like? I mean, to, to make it your ambition. Like, man, what are, you, what are you chasing after? I'm chasing after a quiet life. The scribes were, were not. They wanted to make sure uh, they uh, were noticed. If you want to spiritually fake it, whatever you do, get noticed. Step five, spiritual, spiritually faking it, is to, to work over uh, the week in Jesus' name. Uh, work over the week in Jesus' name. We're, we're, we're told of the scribes that they devour widows' houses. You want to take advantage of people spiritually. Uh, make sure that you see other people as opportunities uh, to advance your cause. I mean, think about people in terms of what can they do for me? Right? How can I uh, use them uh, to advance my platform or to advance my cause or to advance my position? Just look at people as people uh, to be used and not people to be loved. And you don't think that this happens today? Like, turn on the television. Right? Listen, listen, as long as you can take it to a number of television evangelists. Right? Just trying to squeeze every last dollar they can. Take advantage of the week in Jesus' name. The, the sixth and the last step to spiritually faking it according uh, to Jesus is to sound super spiritual. Sound super spiritual. Mark 12.20 says that the scribes devour widows' houses and for a pretense they make long prayers. A pretense is an attempt to make something that is not the case appear to be true. This isn't a call not to pray. It's not a call not to pray in front of others. Uh, it, it is a call to authenticity. Right? It is a call not to use spiritual matters uh, to, to cause other people to think you're something that you're not. And the scribes apparently were, were masters at this. But you want to sound spiritual, super spiritual? Man, litter every conversation with spiritual lingo. Man, pray in such a way that you give King James a run for his money. Seek to impress. Make sure people leave the room and go, oh, she's got it together. He's got it together. I'll never forget... Uh, when I was in college, there was a gentleman who came and spoke at our fall Bible conference. His name was Warren Wearsby. 
Uh, Warren Wiersbe has written a number of books, was a pastor for a number of years, and I was, I think, a sophomore at uh, the time, and I was excited to come and, and to listen to what Warren Wiersbe had to say. And I thought, man, this is going to be good. And oftentimes the speakers came, and before uh, they shared their message with the student body, one of the first things they, they did was, was pray. And you would pay attention. I mean, you would notice. It's hard not to. You would listen to what someone said and what they prayed about and the things that they talked to God about. It's just, it's just natural. But I'll never forget when Warren Wearsby would pray. I'll never forget when Warren Wearsby would pray. I, re- I remember like one of the first times at the Bible conference, he's like, all right, let's, uh, let's pray together. Uh, Lord, uh, help us. Amen. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, I, I barely closed my eyelids, and he was saying amen. Like, at the end of the message, he's like, Lord, we love you. Amen. <laughs> I'm like, Warren, like, is that all you got? Like, you can't rehash your message. Like, you can't share the three points that you just shared. Like, you just, it just came across as just simple. And as I think about it today, I can't help but wonder uh, if there wasn't something beautiful in the simplicity. If you want to want to fake spiritual, then sound super spiritual. And throw out all the lingo you can and flower your prayers as much as you can and speak to impress. It's it's amazing to me that the the people uh, during the time of Jesus who you thought would be uh, the most spiritual were the least. It's amazing to me during the time of Jesus that the people you thought would be closest to God were actually the furthest away. And so how can we as as a people look at the example of the scribes and go, Lord, I I don't want that. I, I don't want to spiritually fake it. Right? And I'm asking myself this question. Because I happen to have a microphone on this morning and a fancy title. And so I think about these things. And so I think, how, how can we avoid spiritually faking it? The first thing that comes to mind is moving toward authenticity. Moving toward authenticity. Asking myself, asking your, your, yourselves, uh, God, am I authentic in my relationship with you and my relationship with others? Am I authentic? Am I, am I real? Am I honest? And when I, when I talk about authenticity, when I talk about being real, I'm not talking about saying whatever comes to mind. I'm not talking about doing whatever you want to do and just go, I'm just keeping it real. That's not biblical authenticity. Biblical authenticity is going, I boast in my weakness. I boast in my weakness because when I'm weak, he's strong. Right? Be, being biblically authentic is being honest about our brokenness, not putting on a show, 
like having conversations with people and going, I'm afraid and I struggle and I need help and I don't have everything figured out. That's being authentic. Right? And so if, if you want to, to be one who is authentic in your relationship uh, with the Lord, then be authentic with one another. Ask yourself, do, do I celebrate the success of others? Right? Do I celebrate the success of others? Am, am I quick to go, hey, look over, look over here. Look how God's using him. Look how God's using her. Let's celebrate this story over here. I mean, it's so easy to position ourselves so other people can see what we're doing, but, but it seems like true, um, true, authentic, vibrant faith in Jesus is celebrating what God is doing in the lives of others. And so we ask ourselves, I ask myself, do I celebrate others? I ask myself the question, am I okay um, with others not knowing what I'm doing? Am I okay with others not knowing what I'm doing? Not like secret stuff, but I'm saying like like good things, God glorifying things, Christ exalting things. Am I okay uh, doing those things if nobody finds out about it? Like on a Tuesday or a Thursday or somewhere when you're on the road or a conversation that you're having with a friend. Like, are you okay with doing good things and God glorifying things and Christ exalting things and not advertising it? Right, even at the cost of people just thinking that you're just pretty okay. Am I okay uh, with not living my life for all to see? This ties into that as well. Am, am I okay living my life um, for all not to see? Or, or do I feel like I always have to be on the front end of advertising to the world uh, my accomplishments? Fifth question that I'm asking, are there people in my life uh, who don't improve my position? Are there people in my life who, who don't improve my position? Like, are there people around me and who surround me where I look and I'm just going, they're, they're, they're not going to impact my bottom line. They're not going to get me where I need to go. Uh, they're, they're not going to improve my uh, perception in society or in the community. Uh, instead, it's just the opposite of that. I'm in a situation where, where I'm giving, where I'm extending, where, where I'm serving. Or, or like the scribes, do I look at people as, as just people to advance my cause? Sixth question, do I go out of my way uh, to sound spiritual? Do I go out of my way to sound spiritual? I mean, and, and do it for the sole sake of just sounding spiritual. We say, as a people of God, we say spiritual things, right? We just say, man, like, praise God for what God's doing. I'm so grateful for God's grace. I'm so grateful for God's mercy. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about language and lingo that, that, we, that we use to impress, to cause others to think that we're more spiritual than we really are, or to say things that, quite honestly, we don't even know what they mean. We just say them because we heard someone else say them. These are all questions that I ask myself. I think they're questions that we should ask uh, as a community. 
And speaking of community, I think one of the beautiful things about community is it helps us ask and answer these questions more clearly. Right? So, so people who know us can point these things out. Because if it's just me on a mountain somewhere, and no one's speaking into my life going, James, quit showing off. Quit feeling like you have to defend yourself. Stop doing that. Like if we don't have those voices in our lives and ultimately we don't uh, ask or answer these questions with much accuracy, right? One of the things that I'm excited about here at, at Christ Point is in uh, January, we're looking to add um, five small groups. Right? And so we've, we've talked to leaders. We have ongoing conversations with, with leaders. We're, we're preparing them. We're going to be uh, in a position at the end of January where we launch those five groups. When you think about our men's and our women's groups and our small groups right now, we're going to have uh, 10 groups in our, in our church where we, we can pursue stuff like this together. And I'm excited about that. And I'm excited to, to know that people are walking with one another and they're speaking into uh, each other's lives. I want us uh, to ask these questions, and I certainly uh, want us uh, to ask the most important question, and that's the Jesus question. Right? Who is Jesus? All this other stuff, quite honestly, if we miss the Jesus question, none of this other stuff matters. Right? So, so if Jesus was asking you that question, not, not Peter or not his disciples or, or not the crowd, but he was asking you that question, um, how would you re- reply? How would you answer? Uh, would you say that Jesus is the God-man, the Savior of the world, the one uh, sent by the Father to live a perfect life and to die and uh, to be raised to new life? Would you say, I, I'm... <laughs> I'm in. I'm following him. My faith, my trust is in him. Or would you say, uh, he's, he's a good guy. He's a good teacher. I've learned a few things. I mean, my hope and prayer is that, that we as a people, we would, we would answer uh, the Jesus question. And in answering that question, God would allow us by his grace and mercy to pursue uh, an authentic and vibrant faith as we chase after him. We need God's help to do that. And so would you pray with me? Let's ask for his help. Uh, God, I, uh, I personally uh, do, do not want to be uh, a spiritual faker. I don't want to miss it. And so help me. God, I pray for us as, as a church um, that, that we would not spiritually fake our way through life. Lord, we need, we need your help. So would your spirit convict us and lead us and guide us and, and when necessary, comfort us. Would you do it for your name's sake? God, we love you. We thank you for loving us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.